Now we are in this series asking the question, why Jesus, and getting our stories from the Gospel of John, where he records various interactions between Jesus and people who question his claims and his credentials, and they want to know more, and some of them approach him accusingly, seeking to trap him in his words because they've already made up their mind and they're not really honest inquirers. But today we're going to look at an honest inquirer. His name is Nicodemus. He has nothing to do with trying to quit smoking. All right, somebody said if you think Nicodemus is a strategy for quitting smoking, you need to listen to the sermon. So in John chapter 3, we have this famous story about this man who came to Jesus. And it concludes with one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which we're going to read together at the end. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher Come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you did not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let's read this together. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There are lots of folks who don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that he is the Savior, that he is God in the flesh, and they stumble at the notion that he might be. I heard from such a man this week who sent me a lecture he was doing 
about why Jesus could not be God and took some of the scriptures to talk about it. Well, you heard in this scripture what Jesus, in fact, says about himself. Nicodemus is curious. He is a real inquirer. He's interested, and he wants to know more about Jesus. He comes to Jesus at night. People think, well, maybe he came at night because he was ashamed to be seen talking with Jesus, and that could have been the case. Maybe he didn't really want people to know because he was embarrassed about it. Uh, Maybe he came at night because he thought he could get some one-on-one time with Jesus, somebody said. And during the day, he had crowds all around him, and so if he really wanted to have a conversation with Jesus, maybe he just had to come at night so they could talk face-to-face. I wonder if maybe he didn't come at night because as a ruler of Israel and a leader of the Jews and a man greatly respected in his day, he had people who looked to him. And he was beginning to wonder if he himself was okay spiritually. Something about Nicodemus is unsettled in his heart. There's something that's going on in him. There's a shadow of doubt that has fallen over this man. Maybe it was always there. But something is stirring inside of him to come to Jesus with his questions. Now, that's a difficult thing. If anybody ought to be in like Flynn, as the saying goes, it's Nicodemus, you know? I mean... He's the man who has the academic credentials. He's got the experience. His peers have promoted him to the highest religious council of the land. He's studied it. He knows it. He's been in the book all his life. He's the man they come to with their questions, and he sits in judgment on those questions. And still something inside this man is not settled. And I suppose it's risky business for him to come to Jesus, but he is disturbed enough that he decides to do so. I don't know if there's anybody in this room who might have all kinds of religious credentials. I mean, you've been there every time the doors were open. You've studied. If people were going to point to a very religious and committed person, they might point to you. And yet, you, like Nicodemus, may not be settled inside. Maybe you don't have peace. Maybe you're wondering what's going on spiritually. I think that prompted Nicodemus and this meeting that we've just read about. Part of it is internal to Nicodemus. He himself is on a journey, and he is still seeking, even though for many years he's been the go-to guy for answers to their questions. Now, I want you to see the introduction that Nicodemus has with Jesus. He says to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. So, that's the first step there. I mean, Nicodemus sees the signs. He sees that Jesus is a teacher, and he's impressed by his teaching. There were others impressed by Jesus' teaching as well. In fact, 
you could almost get a consensus. You probably couldn't get a 100%, but you could almost get a consensus in the world that Jesus was a teacher. People might even classify him as a great teacher. Even if they don't believe that he was son of God and savior of the world, they might still say he told amazing stories. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of the prodigal son, those are amazing. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, was he a great teacher? Yes, indeed. And maybe you're in that category. You're sitting there thinking, you know, I think he was a great teacher. I'm with Nicodemus on this. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. There's another thing that Nicodemus has seen. He has seen the mighty signs, the miracles. And he says to Jesus in this introductory statement, no one could do these miracles unless God was with them. I mean, he saw the miracles. Now, they use the word signs here intentionally. John is going to give us seven mighty signs. Someday I want you to look them up. I want you to start in the first chapter, go to the end, including the resurrection, find the seven mighty signs in the Gospel of John. The gospel is, in a way, organized around these seven mighty signs. The first one is the wedding at Cana where he changes the water into wine. And at the end of that miracle, John says, and his disciples saw his glory and they believed in him. This was the first mighty sign. The second one is in John chapter 4 where a nobleman comes to Jesus at Cana in Galilee. Jesus has come back to the very place where they had the wedding and he did the water into wine miracle and the nobleman finds him there. The nobleman is from Capernaum which is a ways away but he's got this son who is very sick and he finds Jesus there and he calls out to him and says, Jesus, I need you to come to my house and heal my son because he's dying. And Jesus says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you just won't believe. And then he says, you go on home, your son is healed. And the nobleman returns home to find that his son is indeed healed. And when he asked the servants, when did this happen? They say it was the very day and hour where Jesus said he is healed. And that story ends with, this was a second mighty sign that Jesus performed, and the official and his family believed in Jesus. All of the signs are like signs are supposed to be. They're telling you about something that's coming up, or they're directing you to a place you need to get. The sign is not really about itself, even if it's the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000 people. Wow, John records that sign. But the sign's not really about that. It's pointing to something else. It's a signpost. And after that mighty sign, Jesus starts talking about how he is the bread of life. He's the bread sent down from heaven. That's what the sign is about. The sign is pointing to Jesus and who he is. And Nicodemus has seen the signs. And he's thinking in his heart, these, this is amazing. These truly are miracles. I don't know if you've seen any signs in your lifetime like this, mighty signs. Graham was just running around here in our sanctuary. He's the little boy that fell in the bucket. And every time I give Graham a hug, someone will say, is that the little boy? And I'll say, yeah. 21 days in hospital, 11 in ICU, no heartbeat for 30 minutes. This is him. This is him. 
And I'm so glad he's still here. He's delightful. He's wonderful. Hey, you could look at Graham and say, well, you know, that's not really a mighty sign. Nicodemus could have done that. He could have looked at the healing of the nobleman's son. He could have looked at the changing of water into wine. He could have said something about that. But think of all the things that you don't have explanation for. All the things that go on in the world, in medicine, in health, as well as other places. Have you ever seen any signs? Or you thought, you know, only God could do that. I mean, really, look at that. Only, has it ever occurred to you, only God could do that? See, see, Nicodemus sees the signs. He sees that Jesus is a teacher, and he hears these amazing things, and he sees these miracles, these wondrous works, these mighty signs. And he says, he concludes, God must be with you. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one could do these mighty signs unless God was with him. And Nicodemus has taken a step, you see. He has heard the teaching, and it's been impressive. He has seen the signs, that too has impressed him. And he's taken a step, and he's decided it's not the devil. Some people thought it was the devil. He does these things by the power of Beelzebub, they said. That was the prince of the demons. He's taken a step, he's decided, you know, that's probably not Beelzebub. It's probably not accidental. It's probably not coincidence. Probably God is at work in this person. He's taken that step. So there are three things that he lets us know when he shows up at night to see Jesus. First of all, boy, I'm impressed by his teaching. It's amazing. Second thing, these mighty signs, I think God's at work here. I think that's really what the explanation is. And the third thing is, I see God present in the teaching and the signs. I think that God is indeed at work in your ministry. This is powerful. So I want you to think for a second about the teaching you've heard, maybe some of the signs you've seen. Could God be at work in your world? Could God be at work in your world? Jesus has this very surprising response. The scripture says Jesus replied to him. He didn't really ask any questions. I mean, it's just a statement, an observation. Nicodemus makes an observation. Rabbi, we know your teacher come from God. No one could do these things unless God was with them. And Jesus replies to that and says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Not only got to see the signs, you got to see the kingdom. Until you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And some people, when they hear the kingdom of God, they immediately go to heaven. And that's where they are intellectually. Intellectually, you cannot go to heaven unless you are born again. All right? And that's true. But I want you to think about the kingdom of God in a bigger way. Jesus came, uh, came saying, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is coming. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he preached the presence and power of the kingdom of God. Here's the rule of thumb. Here's a simple way to think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's God reigning all over his universe in a perfect way in heaven and also reigning in the hearts and lives of people. 
It is God's activity in the world which he has made and with which he is engaged. That is the kingdom of God, his rule everywhere around us. And so Jesus said, as we have already observed, my father is always at work to this very day. So I want to ask you a question now, following up on the teaching and the signs. Do you see the kingdom of God? Do you see the rule of God, the activity of God in your world? Can you see it? There are people who live throughout their lifetime and they never see the activity of God, they say. God's not doing anything all around them. There are other people who see the activity of God every day, they say, in all kinds of ways. God is at work in their world. Jesus said, my father's at work to this very day, and I too am working. So on a daily basis, the activity of God is all around us. That's according to Jesus. But Jesus says this, even though the, the God of this universe is active around you and his rule is evident, you cannot see it until and unless you are born again. You must be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see, cannot perceive the kingdom of God. You must be born again. It's a strange little phrase. It strikes Nicodemus strange. He's saying, "Mm, born again. I mean, what are you talking about? You must be born again. If anybody is secure, surely it's Nicodemus. He's done all the stuff he needed to do. He studied the Word. He said his prayers. He gave his tithe. He helped people out. He tried to be an example of religious fervor. He was part of the group that was purifying the religion of Israel and really bringing it back to the law and the prophets and trying to keep it diligently and faithfully. That's who he was. He was a guy who took it seriously. If anybody in Israel was somebody who was secure in their relationship with God, surely it was Nicodemus, and yet he himself felt the insecurity. And then Jesus says to him, you're You must be born again. Here's the problem with being born again. Just like you had nothing to do with your first birth, so you can't do anything in regard to your new birth. People ask the question, what must I do to have eternal life? with an emphasis on do. Surely there's something I can do. I'm ready to do it. I want to do it. Nicodemus has been doing all his life. And he's done it very well. And he's done it with the T's. And he's dotted all the I's. He's been faithful. He has been doing it. What must I do then? What more must I do? I'm uncomfortable with my relationship with God. What else do I have to do? Just tell me what i got to do. I'm ready to climb the mountain. I'll swim the ocean. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm ready to do. But you can't do this. You can't do being born again. You can't go back to your mother's womb and be born a second time. It's not something you can do. It's got to be done to you. Your new birth is dependent on the Spirit of God doing something in you that you cannot do. 
you got to rest in the God who made you and loved you. To be born again, you must trust him. You must fall back into his arms of love and give yourself to him. It's something he must do in you. It's called grace. It's the mercy of God. To see the kingdom, you must be born again. What in the world is that about? Born of the Spirit. Born from above. Born anew. These are the ways that this new birth is talked about in the Bible. So I would ask you, have you been born again? Have you done everything religion requires you to do? Have you been doing it all your life? Have you been as faithful as you can be? Are you looking to do something else that will bring the peace to your heart? Nicodemus is there. And Jesus says, you must be born again. If Nicodemus must be born again, as a leader of the Jews and a ruler in Israel, what about you and what about me? We too must be born again. How can it happen? Jesus begins to explain it in terms of himself. You must not only see the signs and see the kingdom, you must see the sun. He says, the one who went up to heaven and was in heaven, came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. He talks about himself as coming down from heaven. Here is Nicodemus, finally in a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, this amazing teacher, miracle worker. And he says, I don't know, how, how can this be? How can I be born again? And Jesus says to him, I'm the one come down from heaven. I can tell you how to get to heaven. I can tell you about the kingdom of God. I've been there. I was in heaven, and I came from heaven. That's what he says. Jesus makes the claim right here. Now, I don't know where my friend who sent me the email might put this in his scripture references. But this sounds very much like what we say about Jesus, that he is fully man, a man like we are, men and women, that he was fully human, but not merely human. Fully human, but not merely human. All the evidence of the Scripture, once you begin to look at the words of Jesus himself, indicate that he is someone who is beyond just human. He calls himself the Son of Man. And here he says, the Son of Man came down from heaven. And then he says, just like the serpent, that bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness when the people were sick, as a symbol of God's forgiveness of their great sin. I mean, it's, it's a picture of the healing power of God in the human spirit. They looked to the, that bronze serpent and they were healed. Just as they looked to that bronze serpent and were healed, so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that all who believe in Him may have eternal life. So you lift up Jesus where? On the cross, the bronze servant was lifted up in the wilderness and they looked and were healed. And Jesus is lifted up on the cross and you look and are healed. 
He's saying these things about himself now. In the dialogue with Nicodemus, he is pointing Nicodemus to himself. He wants Nicodemus to see the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior of the world himself. And he culminates it with this very famous verse. It's in red in most all of our Bibles. Some people think maybe it shouldn't be in red, that maybe it's John's commentary, but I think it's, I think he's right. Keep it in red. God, for God so loved the world. We take the word so to be an intensifier, that God loved the world so much, but really it's an explainer. It's a modifier. God loved the world in this way. God so loved the world. In this manner, God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That's how God loved the world. Yes, it's immeasurable love. It's amazing love. It's intense love. But it's a love in this way. God gave his one and only son. God loved the world in this way. Loved you, Nicodemus, in this way. Loved you. In this way, my friend, that he gave his one and only son. Why? So that all who believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. All who believe in him will be born again and see the kingdom. All who believe in him. What do you got to do, Nicodemus? What you got to do to have eternal life is surrender to Christ who is sent to save you. That's what you do. There isn't some religious act you can perform. Not even a great religious sacrifice that you can perform that will secure your place in heaven where you can see the kingdom of God. There's nothing you per se can do except believe on the one that God has sent. So Nicodemus, curious and unconvinced, comes to Jesus, confessing he's, he's a great teacher. And some of these miracles, they're indeed amazing. It looks like God might be with him. And the message to Nicodemus is, you, my friend, leader though you might be, religious through and through, you must be born again. The call of God is to trust in the one he has sent, Jesus, the Savior. Say, what does that look like in me? How, do, how does that happen in me to be born again? You, you acknowledge that you yourself cannot do it. That's number one. You acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you cannot save yourself, that none of the religious works that you do are saving works. They don't rescue you from this flesh that is still sinful and still falls and still fails. You acknowledge that God is holy and nothing unholy is going to enter his heaven. And so you've got to be purged somehow perfectly clean. And you can't do that on your own. Who's going to take away your sin? Who's going to wipe out that blemish on your soul? Who's going to clean up those dark, dark spots in your heart? Who can do that? That's why Jesus came. He came to be the sacrifice for our sin, the sin bearer. Here is a religious figure, a religious leader who is introduced to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. And that's who he can be to you. God has done it all. 
He has provided it all. He has sent his son. He has allowed him to be the sacrifice for sin. God has finished all of this work. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he meant not only that his physical life was over, but he meant that his mission was accomplished. He had finished the work for which he was sent. And he was sent to be our substitute and bear our sin upon the cross. So, how are you born again? You're born again by saying, Lord, I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask you to forgive me and to come in my life and be my Savior and Lord. It's amazing what God does when we cast ourselves upon him. I mean, there's a pride in us that resists this because we want to do something for heaven's sake. There's a pride that says, no, I can do this. There's a pride that says, oh, my life, I've done all this thing, these things. I mean, be born again when I'm old. I mean, what, what's that about? And so that pride holds us back from just casting ourselves on the grace and mercy of God. But God alone can do this work in you. Only God can forgive your sin and give you the new birth that you must have if you're ever to see heaven or even see the work of God in your own time. So the question comes to Nicodemus, so Nicodemus, will you do it? Will you accept what Jesus has said? Will you believe that God loves you so much? He sent his only son to die on the cross for you. Will you trust him and him alone, him only, for your salvation and be born again? Bow with me, please. And as we bow our heads and talk to God, we believe that God hears prayers. And we believe that he is here in this room and that he can hear the whispered prayer of your heart. God knows your condition as you do. God understands where you are spiritually. And maybe you're a seeker in need of a Savior. You've been wondering about Jesus. This could be a moment for you to say, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I want to receive you as Lord. Please forgive me for my sin. Would you pray that prayer to him right now? Casting yourself on his mercy and grace. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you, God, that you were so full of love for us that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. Thank you for a rescue that goes beyond anything we can do, that cleans us up and gives us a new heart, a new home in heaven, a new future. God, thank you for the new birth that makes all things new. God, I pray today that men and women, young people and boys and girls will hear your call to surrender their all to you. And God, that we will say yes, that we'll acknowledge the great work you've done through your son Jesus and receive that work as our own, applying to our own life and who we are. God, thank you. For the great miracle you work in our hearts when we allow you inside us. Thank you for the forgiveness and the cleansing that comes. So God, do your work now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.